I've wrestled with this sermon all week. It's not the easiest to preach. It would have been much easier to come in this morning and preach about unicorns and butterflies and such. Give us all a nice, warm, fuzzy moment as we go through this pandemic. We're called to more. God has called me to more. Uh, from the very beginning of the word, justice is critical to God. And it must be critical to those of us that follow. So I preach uh, today what I feel God has put on my heart. I preach it to be faithful to God. And to call us to be a part of justice. The sermon is nonpartisan. Both parties have gotten this thing wrong. The sermon may be political because political forces are destroying lives. And I don't apologize for taking on politics because the prophets always did. Our text for today comes from the Old Testament book of Amos, chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Amos is speaking on behalf of God, and he says, I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the, the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts today. Teach us to love one another deeply. Teach us to see the face of Christ in every stranger, of every background, of every persuasion. Lord, Help us to realize that we are all created to bear the divine image. Teach us to live that fact into reality. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redemption. Amen. It was a rainy February afternoon earlier this year when I found myself in Montgomery with a group of fellow preachers. Uh, my daughter, Olivia, my youngest child, was with me, and uh, we were there touring the National Museum and the National Memorial for Peace with Justice. We walked through the memorial that afternoon through the rain. We looked at 800 still monuments. We walked past them as they hung over our heads. Each monument represents a county in the United States where lynchings occurred, lynchings of our African-American brothers and sisters. 800 monuments. On each monument are inscribed the names of the African-Americans in that county that were lynched, the names that we know of, at least. In total, at the memorial, there's a list of 4,400 names. My heart broke as we walked through the memorial. Please allow me to share with you some of those names. From the Tuscaloosa Monument, those African Americans who were lynched in our county, Andy Burke, lynched July 18, 1884. 
Bud Wilson, December 12, 1889. Charles McKelton, February 10, 1892. John Johnson, February 10, 1892. Sidney Johnson, July 12, 1898. John Durrett, July 15, 1898. Cicero Cage, March 13, 1919. A.T. Harden, August 13, 1933. Dan Pippen, August 13, 1933. Dennis Cross, September 24, 1933. So we walked through the memorial. I also saw this plaque that reads, Thomas Miles Sr was lynched in Shreveport, Louisiana in 1912 for allegedly writing a note to a white woman. That's our story in this country. That's an important part of our history. I want to invite us to take just a moment and offer a prayer of repentance for the things that our culture has done to people created in the image of God. Let's pray. Father, we grieve the loss of human life. We grieve the violence that has been perpetrated by people created in your image against people created in your image. Lord, I repent. I repent of those parts that I have played in perpetuating that kind of hatred. Lord, I confess that I have fallen short of loving others as I should. Lord, please forgive. Lord, forgive us for words and thoughts of hatred, acts of violence. But Lord, don't just forgive us. Transform us. Renew us. Lord, creating us a new people, a people that genuinely, deeply loves. Amen. As we walk through those memorials, I confess to you that I tried to convince myself we were just looking at something from the ancient past. It's a common thing that some of us white folks do. We want to say that those atrocities, and we admit that they are, we say those atrocities are from a previous time. I wanted to believe that because if, if those days were over, then maybe there was nothing left that I needed to do. Perhaps I wanted to pretend that those were from my, maybe I wanted to pretend those days were over because my daughter was with me, who is also a person of color. And I'd like to hope that she'll never face the risk that those other individuals did. Whatever the reason, um, the weeks following our trip to Montgomery reminded me that the struggle goes on. It was only days after our trip to Montgomery that, that Ahmaud Aubrey was shot for running through a neighborhood. His brutally murdered there have been conflicting reports about maybe he did something wrong, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe he stole something, maybe he didn't. I don't know the truth on that. But surely, 
The answer is not to gun down human beings in our streets. Surely that can't be our best solution. Surely that's not the best of who we are. I don't know anybody who thinks that that is humanity at our very best. What happened to Arbery was evil. And it was connected to that 400 year history of evil. Aubrey's story reminds me of Trayvon Martin. He's walking down the road with a hoodie on and someone considered him threatening, threatening. Again, I don't know the whole story. I confess that. I don't know if Trayvon Martin had done anything or might do anything wrong. But again, again, it's shooting people. It's murdering people the best that we can do. It continues a destructive form of hatred. It continues that wicked force of racism that separates us to this very day. And now just a few days ago, George Floyd murdered out in the street in full view of the entire world. Another tragic, tragic killing. Nobody denies that. We are all created in God's image, and that image bearer of the divine, his life was snuffed out that day. And that's evil. And we have to call it that for what it is. It's, it's a horrible thing, and it's connected to an ill in our society that puts one group of people against another. May God lead us to a time of healing. May God restore our hearts and teach us to love those that look differently. I've seen the post, I've read the stories about George Floyd's rap sheet about the things that he's done wrong, but once again, brothers and sisters, we do not murder people in the street because they've done something wrong. It makes us all the more evil. So we've got to change. But what about the riots? I've heard it asked probably a hundred times in the last week. What about the riots? Well, let me start off by saying, first and foremost, I absolutely advocate for nonviolence. I am a nonviolent person. In fact, you could probably go so far to call me a pacifist. That we are, uh, our Methodist tradition is a long tradition of pacifists who believe in peace over violence. In fact, I'm, I'm a pacifist to the point that I've never even really enjoyed hunting. I grew up the youngest of four boys. My dad hunted, my older brother hunted. I tagged along with him a few times, but the couple of squirrels I shot, I always felt bad for them. I'm such a pacifist that it hurts my heart to kill the meat that I'm gonna eat. And so I want you to know my heart as we talk about these riots and the things that have gone on these last few nights. I absolutely abhor violence. It is the antithesis of God. I abhor what happened in the riots. But we must understand it. We must come to some understanding of why it gets to that level. 
There is a reason that things become violent. Now, some of them, according to some of the evidence, some of the riots started because fringe groups on one extreme or the other created problems, that they incited the violence to deepen the divide between us. And, and I pray that those folks get the justice that they need as well. But some of the protesters turned violent. Why would they do that? Before we just brush them aside or before we let their violence drown out the message of racial inequality in this country, before we, before we lose the message, let's ask the question, why? Why would protesters become violent? I believe that it's, it, it's an act of desperation. When you've tried everything else, when you've done all that you can to try to get your equal place at the table and nothing else has worked, then violence becomes an option to some people. But African Americans in our country have been marching peacefully since the time of Dr. King. And still we have so far to go. I can understand why some would say the marching isn't getting it done. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 uh, increased the opportunity for African Americans to vote. And sometimes we like to tell them, well, if you don't like it, go to the polls and change things. But you do understand that a minority cannot win the vote. It's simple math. In order to win a vote in a democratic system, you've got to get a majority of the votes. In order for a minority to win, some of us in the majority have to vote with them. And so peaceful protests haven't worked. The voting alone has not been enough to solve the problems. Colin Kaepernick peacefully protested over this very issue. And again, let me say, my my dad was a World War II veteran, a veteran of the Korean conflict. My brother is a Navy veteran. My son is a Coast Guard veteran. My older daughter is a veteran of the U.S. Army. Uh, I've got military folks all around me, and I am grateful for every one of them. Many of you watching this worship service have served our country, and I thank you for your service. And I know, I know that seeing someone disrespect the national anthem is painful. But protests, by their nature, in order to be effective, have to ruffle somebody's feathers. They have to be offensive enough to get some attention. But Colin Kaepernick protested peacefully over this very issue. And we were mad at him about it. We told him to stop disrespecting our flag. When all the other options are taken away, some people are going to become violent. And again, that doesn't make it okay. I am not making excuses for the violence, but we must understand it. We must understand where it comes from. Because the only way to heal it is to deal with the root problem. And the root problem is that we have a, an inequality still in our system. But I do grieve. I grieve for those that have suffered as a result of the riot. Too many have lost their lives in the riots. Too many have lost their livelihoods in the riots. Uh, millions of dollars of property have been damaged in the riots. I grieve all of that. I genuinely do. In fact, again, I'd like to ask if we could go to God in prayer for peace in the midst of the riots.
Will you pray with me again? Father, we love you, and I am heartbroken that we have resorted to violence. I'm heartbroken that we can't seem to solve the problem that leads to violence. But right now, I want to lift up the families of every single person who has died in these riots and ask that your comfort of the Holy Spirit would be with each and every one of them, that you would wrap your arms around them and comfort them in their incredible grief. Lord, I pray for those that have lost livelihoods, for those that have lost property. Lord, I pray that you would restore their situations abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would that you would bring peace into their horribly disrupted lives. Lord, I pray that we would finally beat our swords into plowshares in this country, that we would forget how to go to war with one another, and that we would finally learn the way of peace. Lord, teach us. Amen. God spoke through the prophet Amos, and he said, I'm tired of your religious acts. I don't want to hear your music anymore. Don't bother with the sacrifices. Uh, Amos paints a picture of a God who says that God is not interested in worship from people who care nothing about justice. And he goes on to say, let justice Roll down like waters, righteousness like a flowing stream. May God flood our church, our community, our country. May God flood us with that kind of justice. And a word about justice in the Bible as well. The Hebrew word for justice has two different meanings. Sometimes, sometimes it is referring to rec, rec, excuse me, retributive justice, where we are punishing people for what they've done wrong. And that needs to happen. The, the people who murdered George Floyd need to face that, to be absolutely certain. The people in the riots who have murdered people and damaged property, they need to face justice for that. There is a punishment side of justice. The Bible allows for that. That is part of what the word means. Most often, most often when the Bible talks about justice, it's restorative, a justice that renews a justice that binds together rather than pulling apart. A justice that builds up rather than tearing down. In the Bible, justice is about returning to the created state. We started off the service with a call to worship from, from the book of Genesis, where God created all that is and called it good. Justice is about returning to that state, about returning to the creation that God called good. And so God speaks very strongly through, through Amos. And almost identically through the prophet Micah in chapter 6. To say, look, the worship that I really desire is a justice that recreates creation. That means so much to God, it should mean so much to us. And right now we have a great opportunity. This, all of this mess of the last couple of weeks has brought to our attention the need to love one another better, the need to love one another more deeply. And I'm going to talk to us white folks for just a minute. We white folks have an opportunity to make a difference. I would go so far as to say we have an obligation to make a difference. 
We can no longer say, well, that's, uh, that's an African-American problem, or that's a Hispanic problem, or that's a minority problem. It is ours. The majority has got to get involved if change is going to happen. Check your history books. The Civil Rights Amendments to the U.S. Constitution, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, those amendments that abolished slavery and extended rights to our African-American brothers and sisters, those were passed by a Congress that was almost unanimously white. It's white folks that passed those amendments in Congress. Fast forward to 1965, the Voting Rights Act, that finally opened up the vote in a better way. I still think we have room to work. But that finally began to extend the vote more fully to people of color. The Voting Rights Act was passed in Congress by a majority of white folks. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they valued justice over our racial differences. We still have work to do. In my research on this part of the sermon, I came across a fact that shocked me. The first U.S. Senator, the first African-American U.S. Senator took office in 1870, five years after the Civil War. Now you remember that at least since Alaska and Hawaii joined the Union, there are a hundred senators at a time. Since 1870, including that very first, we've had only 10 African-Americans serve in the U.S. Senate. Only 10. That suggests to me that we still have a problem with representation for our brothers and sisters. So we have an opportunity to be a part of the difference. We have an opportunity to be a part of the change. We have the chance to be allies. I'm not sure if that's the best word, but I don't have a better one yet. But I want to encourage each of us to take the responsibility to work with, to work with people of color, not for them. To walk arm in arm with people that have been marginalized. With God's help, with God's help, may we learn to listen, first of all, there's so much I don't know yet. I, I've got to keep listening to people with different experiences. I don't even know what I don't know. So with God's help, may we listen to the experience of people who walked a different path than we have. May we have the courage to act when we have the opportunity. May we love deeply those who seem to be different from us, although we're all, once again, created in God's image. We have an opportunity once again in our country to build bridges, to build community, to restore God's creation. I pray that we take full advantage of it. Uh, great, great Christian writer, Oswald Chambers, says this, a Christian never defends his own rights but never ceases to defend the rights of others. May we be advocates for the others. May each one of us, all of us, may we reach out in love to others and build a community of which God will say, Behold, 
It is very good. Amen.